HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. Today, I have my good buddy from Pernod Ricard, brand ambassador, and Louise Marquis. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, before we get into this, uh, I do want to say that uh, it is extremely hot out today, and there's nothing I like more than drinking absinthe. On a hot day like today, it's perfect weather. A lot of people don't think about absinthe. Uh, you know, is something that you would uh, drink on a sweaty day. But you know, if you do it the right way, it's extremely refreshing. Absolutely. Traditionally, that's when people had absinthe. Was that kind of at the like the end of the day, right at sunset, as um, kind of cool off and get ready for the evening. So it's kind of a perfect thing to have right now. Yeah, yeah, and especially you know uh, if you want to you know trip out. Not really, <laughs> not really. So what's the deal with that? I mean, like. <laughs> I know, I know, especially after, you know, the last uh, five, six years of having absinthe in the market and kind of like re-legalized and brought in, um, are, are there still people out there that think uh, that, it, I, I feel like there are still people out there that think it, that it's something that is like a hallucinogen that, that's I, I going to say, make you I would trip. say most people still, still think, think it's hallucinogenic. And I think, I think it's very sweet because I think they want to think that. Um, and they they very reticent to to give up that imagining of it but it's not hallucinogenic it never has been um the chemical in absinthe that everyone kind of freaks out about is a chemical called thujone Mm -hmm. and that's the chemical they thought was hallucinogenic but it's actually not it would actually give you seizures if you had it in high enough quantities to right right. but in in absinthe as it is now and as it was a hundred years ago the levels of thujone are so low that it would never hurt you right but that's also Due to it actually being distilled after it's been infused, right? Because, like, so the the thing about the Thujone is that, you know, a lot of people were, and you could still, like, like if you read, like, High Times Magazine, I don't, um, <laughs> but I, I know that people out there do, uh, 
you know, in the back of it, there's like make your own absinthe kits, and it's really it's just like a uh, like a bag full of the botanicals that go into like traditionally go into absinthe. But really, what you're doing is just infusing like vodka with these different herbs. Right. And so back in the day, I guess what I from what I understand of it is that people were making this homemade absinthe without distilling it, and basically had all these like poisonous botanicals that would make you. I mean, like most poisons will do, they will make you trip out. <laughs> so there's there's two things to say about that. So one is that um, absinthe is a double proof spirit. So if you're drinking double proof spirit and and not really pacing yourself, you are going to see things, right? Eventually, you say like pacing yourself or pissing yourself. <laughs> I think you know people. There was a culture where people were drinking nonstop. I mean, they were chain smoking and chain drinking, and that's all they did all day was drink absinthe. So they weren't realizing how strong it was. Um, the other thing to say is that when absinthe was very popular in France 100 years ago, there were a lot of knockoffs. So people were making absinthe with things like turpentine. They were putting in chemicals that you know weren't good for you and that would obviously make you sick and maybe cause you to see things. So those are the two reasons. I mean, now the, the plants you put in absinthe, you can, they're in everything else. I mean, they're in chartreuse, they're in... Vermouth. Vermouth, I mean, yeah. So, and no one's complaining about those. Right. Yeah. And I guess uh, also there, I don't know. I feel like, especially, you know, like you were saying, like overproof spirits, um, which, you know, traditionally you're going to water down. Like that's part of the, the ritual of uh, preparing uh, pasties or uh, absinthe. You know, it always involves a lot of water, you know, and it should. But if you're just drinking straight. And I know people who will come into my bar sometimes and like ask for... <laughs> you know, an absinthe, then, you know, I'll put the water next to it. And like, they just don't like, you know, if someone's asking for it, I always assume that they're going to put the water in it because they know what they're doing. But then you see people sipping on straight absinthe. It's like, that's gnarly, bro. (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't know why you do that. I think the point of absinthe is that you have to add water to release the flavor. So if you're drinking it to enjoy it, I mean, if you just want to get really drunk really fast it's a really good thing to do it with. But I don't, I mean, especially at, at a beautiful bar like yours, I don't think that's the intention. I don't know. When was the last time you were there? <laughs> People get down. That's true. But hopefully in style. Those bathrooms class. are small, but I've seen some, <laughs> some crazy things happen. Um, yeah, so so uh, I, I feel like another thing about uh, absinthe, uh, not, just, uh, not just absinthe, but um, any kind of herbal liqueur or, uh, you know, amari or fernet, things like that, mm-hmm. um, I feel like your body kind of accepts those a little bit easier than, say, something like whiskey that's got a lot of, uh, like, congeners from, like, distillation and from the, the extract from the wood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why, you know, you don't, uh, I don't, I, well, I have, I eat twigs, you know, when you're <laughs> desperate. But, I mean, like, I feel like whiskey kind of, like, uh, your body is like, all right, I should stop drinking this at some point because it's kind of slightly unnatural, you know the grains that were distilled to make this. That's fine, but you know this uh, this whole wood extract is kind of like tell me I should stop. But with uh, herbal liqueurs and amari and fernet and things like that, it's like your body's like, oh, these are things that these are acceptable. So you kind of just does that make any sense to you? Well, yeah. So, so traditionally, absinthe and and like a lot of the spirits you just said, like a lot of those spirits started out as medicine, right. and they started out as palliative. So it was like you know your stomach hurt at the end of a meal, you wanted to like you know settle your stomach a little bit, digest, and then you'd have an absinthe or you'd have an amari. Or so there's definitely a, a sense that when you drink it, it's not as 
kind of counter, like like you're saying, like you're not drinking wood out right. of whiskey. But um, it also just absinthe has a way of sneaking up on you in a way sure. because it seems so subtle and so delicate. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're floating and yeah. you don't quite know how you got there. I never, ever dance. <laughs> but um, I've definitely caught myself uh, in a, a, a whirling... <laughs> Whirling uh, spin at, uh, at many uh, Bastille days due to pasties and absinthe. Yeah, you're drinking it slower. You're drinking it for longer. You're in a and always in a good mood. It's not. It's not a necessarily real a, good mood. Real bad. Convivial. Dancing. Yeah, I mean, there's always music. There's always people out. Um, it's always something you want to share with someone else. Um, it's definitely something to be um, shared amongst friends and drunk with friends. It's not something you sit at home necessarily. I mean, you can. But traditionally, it's something that's had during celebrations. Totally. Well, let's on on that note. Let's talk about the hardware that's involved. Um, yeah. Because one of my things, I, I love like like bar tools and and any kind of like trinket. I just I love little trinkets and rituals <laughs> involved with not only uh, uh, different drinks, but also cooking and you know um, you know things like that of that nature. Um, and you know, especially when they're they're really pretty tools I like that too. Um, so yeah, there run us through some of the, I mean, like there's like the um, fountain. There's... So I, I knew that about you cause, um, I notice all your jewelry and all the things you wear and you like to decorate. Right? I like this yeah. thing about true. So I it's knew that about tattoos. you. Mostly <laughs> tattoos and, and some really beautiful things that Damon likes to wear. So I, I was thinking of you at the office. So I packed <laughs> you some presents. Um, I love presents. So, Traditionally, um, you want to drink absinthe um, if you're out at a at a pretty restaurant um, somewhere you go, like Maison Premier or the Dead Rabbit, somewhere that has a fountain and has these accoutrements. Um, you would drink it. You would start it with a fountain. So you'd put about an ounce and a half of absinthe in the bottom bottom of a glass, and then you would um, drip water from this fountain through um, a sugar cube that's sitting on a slotted spoon on your glass, and then it would um, it kind of dissolves the sugar into the absinthe and becomes your drink so you've already got an awesome huge fountain with right. you know up to sometimes like six eight spigots coming right. off of it um with ice cold water in there right which actually the it's better to have the cold water because it actually breaks up the chemicals better right you want to have i mean i like cold water because i think cold water is better to drink you don't want it super cold because then the anethol doesn't break out so according to dale de <laughs> um you want to have it not not too icy cold i prefer it pretty cold because i think i tend to drink it on hotter days yeah um yeah so you want to add those those spigots and you can get six of them going at a time um so you have these really beautiful and there's this beautiful like old vintage fountains you can see and one of the reasons i love my job is all the cool stuff that goes with it so so you have a fountain and that's great and then there's all these beautiful spoons you can use um some really great ones from like 100 years ago you can find really beautiful old spoons and then um we also have these things called um balanciers yeah, these are one of my favorite uh, little accoutrements. So you can't see it, but maybe you can hear it. So that's the noise of the water going through. Um, it's like a little cup that sits on top of your glass. And instead of a fountain, you just pour the water into this cup and then it drips out. So this is the like single serving kind of yeah. accoutrement. So that's so, what you'd have, yeah, if you were just by yourself at the bar, you know, or having one, a one-off. But this this particular device does not incorporate a sugar cube right? it doesn't i personally think our absinthe is totally sweet without uh, without adding sugar i think when like you're sweet first... isn't awesome or sweet isn't like i think it's radical and <laughs> it's you know it's both i think um 
I think when you're first having absinthe, if you've never had absinthe, you should try it with a sugar cube first. But I think for people like you and I with, with kind of bartender's palates, it's plenty sweet by itself. See, I always thought that, you know, especially when, you know, like about, you know, 10 years ago or so before absinthe was brought back into this market, a lot of the absinthe that people would bring back from like, from like, the, like say like the Czech Republic um, would be really gritty. A lot of them are pretty pretty rough. So to me, I was I was kind of like thought that I made the connection of like the sugar cube being for kind of like inferior absence. I mean, you can make that argument. I think I think um, wormwood is very bitter, so the base mm-hmm. elements in it are, are bitter, and they've always been that way. I think the the French traditionally since. The, originally, the absinthe was used for the army because it's they believed it was an anti-malarial and it would distill water, which it didn't do either of those things, but they thought it did. <laughs> so they would give it to the army when they were invading Tunisia. And one of the ways to get them to drink it was they would add the sugar to it to like make it a little more palatable. And I think that tradition stayed. Um, and it's really beautiful to watch the sugar melt in. Um, but on the Czech Republic note, that's absolutely something that they pushed when the Czech Republic absinthe came out because... They were making very harsh, basically neutral grain, like overproof neutral grain spirits with like food coloring and some flavoring. Um, and that's the reason they actually took, they started, because um, their absinthe doesn't louche, so it doesn't have that pretty color change. Mm-hmm. And so they, that's why they started lighting it on fire. Yeah. So lighting absinthe on fire didn't start till the 1990s. Yeah. And, you know, that. I hate it when people do that. Honestly, I, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, I, I like I like lighting booze on fire as much as the next, you know, drunken oaky. But I mean, like, I just think that it's it's kind of like counterintuitive for like you know doing like a nice like cool refreshing drink. And you know, I mean, maybe it does burn off some of the impurities from the the Czech absinthe. You know, like it. I, but I can't like I can't remember the last time or if I've ever even done the uh, the sugar cube on fire for that. On that note, so like a lot of people still like, and I've realized this like kind of later on in my life, you know, as I'm approaching you know 46 or however <laughs> old I feel right now. But sugar is something that a lot of people like the especially the American market. Uh, the consumer, when they go out to bars, you know, it's kind of an inside joke with bartenders, you know, like not too sweet, bro. You know, like when people say, yeah, okay. give me, I want a, uh, you know, a, a Manhattan not too sweet. It's like, so you just basically what you're saying is you want <laughs> just whiskey with some bitters, you know, like, I don't know. But sugar is such an essential part of opening up other flavors and bringing it together. It's kind of like salt is another, they're palate stimulators. And, you know, you also have to think about like the body of a cocktail and, you know, especially with something as simple as an absinthe with water and a little bit of sugar, it really does open up. First of all, the water is opening up the absinthe, but the sugar does something in your palate that opens mm-hmm. up your palate for it. You Absolutely. Know? And then you're more ready for it. Like, that's why I definitely suggest it for people that don't maybe drink as much as you and I do, whose <laughs> palates aren't as, like, destroyed, or mine at least, from absinthe. I've had five absinths <laughs> since we started the show today. Um, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I think sugar's an incredibly vital part of cocktails, and I get so annoyed when people ask for, you know, no sweetener or no sugar, because it just, then you don't get to taste anything else that's in the drink. It's But I think we've just been used to overly sugar drinks, right? Right. For so long. Of course, but I think I think we can still have sugar and not drink so much of it. I think it's like across the board, it's, it's a very important, well, first of all, the term cocktail, the definition is sugar, water, bitters, and alcohol. So it's like, if you take the sugar out, then you don't don't have a cocktail anymore. Have a cocktail. But <laughs> but it's the same thing with like 
um, you know, say like a daiquiri. You know, rum and lime go really well together. But, you know, if you're just having rum and lime, it, I mean, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to dig it. But it's always better with a little bit of sugar. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would dig it without a little sugar. I had My friend had a margarita without the sugar the other day, and I, I did not like it. Everything's better with a little sugar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's take a break, and uh, let's pour some absinthe. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit more with Anne-Louise Marquis from Pernod Absinthe. The following is an actor reading an actual customer email from Heritage Foods USA. My family and I enjoyed the Heritage turkey. It was far superior to the regular mass-produced turkeys in terms of flavor and texture. Absolutely delicious and worth the difference in price. We will never go back to the regular turkeys. It made our holidays more enjoyable. Thank you, Heritage Foods USA. Heritage Foods USA hopes you had a great holiday season. For more specials on pork, beef, and other meats, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com. We are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy. And some sweet jams in the background also. That's nice. That's thanks to our producer, Dietrich. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> so, um, we're talking with Anne-Louise Marquis from Pernod Ricard. And we've been talking about uh, absinthe in general. And, uh, you know, the different uh, rituals in uh, preparing it and enjoying it. And so, we're going to have some right now. I don't think it's too early. I think it's I think it's perfect. It's always time for an absinthe. Yeah, totally, totally. So uh, why don't you uh, walk us through what you're doing right now, like as far as this preparation, which is our style of preparation, right? We're doing yeah, we're gonna do a, a, a more rustic style right now. Um, so we're not gonna do the sugar cube, but we're gonna. So I just poured some um, absinthe. So what you're tasting right now is actually the um, yeah. So it's the original formula. So it's actually this is not has not been released yet in the U.S., but you're one of the first people, and this is the first radio interview to taste this absinthe you hear that world (laughs) um yeah so 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 you just added some um you add some ice cold water to the absinthe you just drip it in a few drops at a time and you're going to notice how the color starts to shift so you're going to see the oil start to swirl in there and you just keep adding the water until it turns like a pretty milky opaque white color Um, and that's how you know that everything's falling out of solution and that your drink is ready to drink yeah you know um there was something um I wanted to ask about too. Okay, so uh, you know, obviously, uh, or not obviously for everyone, but uh, you know, absinthe is often known as the green fairy. Mm-hmm. But there are different colors of absinthe, and what's what's that all about? Okay, so there's there's a few things. So typically, absinthe is is divided between green and white. Um, so green comes from France, and white comes from Switzerland, typically. So. It's made exactly the same way, except the last step, when they infuse the herbs into it, we add green nettles that turn it that beautiful green color. Um, that's the only difference, really. I mean, the flavor gets affected a little bit, but the nettles are pretty neutral. Thanks. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, you, we've seen it in, like, like pink and red and blue. And, you know, I'm a, 
everyone knows I'm a huge fan of Blue Curacao. So, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've definitely had actually one of the first uh, absence I ever had in my life was blue. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I've, in fact, Blue Curacao was the first thing I ever saw in a cocktail book when I was like just a, a wee one. And I was like, this is like, this is what I need to do. This is my calling. I can make things blue? What? Yeah, it's pretty exciting when you find that out. And contrary like to po- popular belief, Blue Curacao does not uh, indicate its mood. <laughs> it's actually the color. Really? Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. I thought it was sad Curacao. Nope. It's it's very happy, actually. But, um, so... All right, that was dumb. <laughs> that was dumb. It was so amazing. I just see this like this little blue Curacao bottle being so, like, sad, so sad, like dusty on the shelf. Well, that's like, no yeah, one's it kind of it. is. It kind of is. Yeah, it's a blue, blue Curacao. It's so blue. Jesus, can't be more blue. <laughs> um, yeah, this is amazing, actually. So this is a new formulation. This is yeah. really great. Um, you know, it's actually. I feel like it's a lot smoother than the the previous uh, previous formulation. Yeah, so it's. I think it's a lot smoother. I think it's a lot. Um, I think our current what's on market right now is fantastic, but it's very strong and it kind of punches you. It's a double proof spirit. It's very intense. It's very hot. I think this is a, a lot more delicate. It's more nuanced. Um, and I, I was thinking it's because we're changing the base from a grain neutral spirit to a grape neutral spirit. Yeah. So that affects it a little bit. Um, but more than that, it's the wormwood that we're using um, is actually grown in Pontellier now, which is oh, cool. the ancestral home of absinthe. Since the beginning, I mean, Pernod Absinthe created Absinthe. The Pernod family created it in Pontellier. So cool. they went back to their roots and they bought they bought land in the same town and they're growing wormwood now, um, which I think is actually what creates that mellow flavor. Yeah, you know, and it, you could like I really like the grape base too. I mean, I love mm-hmm. Eau de Vie. Actually, last night I was drinking uh, some Marc de Bourgogne and some Fine de Bourgogne, and I, I'm, I'm I'm really glad that I decided to. Uh, do that at work before I came here today. <laughs> so I'd actually have it like fresh on my palate. Nice. You could probably smell it on me right now. I mean, it's, I took a shower, so but I mean, this stuff's strong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. So yeah, so the, the other difference in this, just to, to round out the what's so exciting about this product is that um, we've taken out all the artificial dyes. So when Absinthe first came out in 2007, people didn't quite know how to make it yet. We were still figuring it out and we added, so we added some green dye to stabilize the color and add consistency. Like Maker's Mark does it. Lots of brands. I mean, maybe not Maker's Mark. I know lots of brands do it. I don't want to name anyone specifically. Redact that. Um, I know, I know several brands add coloring, you know, just to, yeah. So, so, and we did that and we admit to that and it was on our bottles. Um, and it was a point of, of something that we wanted to fix. And so now all our products are a hundred percent naturally colored. That's awesome. Yeah. Dude, it's so good. I'm really psyched about this. I'm glad that I'm the first person to get to taste this. (laughs) Man. Yeah. Take that Maxwell Britton or maybe he's probably tasted it, right? (laughs) He's tasted it. Okay. I'll take that back. Yeah, we've had it for a year. I've been, I've been tasting, kind of doing the secret, like with a few people. Um, but now we're launching in October, and it's official. And I can talk to you about it. Awesome. And all your listeners. Can we take a sidebar real quick? Yeah, totally. I've heard through the grapevine that you went to circus school. Oh my god! <laughs> I did that's how I got my job. Really? Yeah. Do you think they just like hire like girls to be brand ambassadors? No, you have to like do something weird. <laughs> So I had, how, how did how did this happen? Like, what was this like? Well, it was like a, a mid twenties crisis, and I um, wanted to be an actress. I was living in LA, and I 
felt like I wasn't going anywhere. And I wanted to find some new way to challenge myself because acting school, like I'd gone to my first, my last audition and the guy was like, you should go to acting school. And I literally just spent three years and like actually like the last (laughs) decade and a half, like in theater school. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try something else. And so I signed up for circus classes because I had always loved it. And it was always so beautiful to me. And I wanted to be one of those girls who could like climb the silks. Mm -hmm. And so, and I love the feeling of weightlessness. Like I'm just love feeling like I'm floating. And so I signed up for classes and I did it for like two years. I went to school and I trained and I worked really hard and I got new muscles in just places (laughs) (laughs) and lots of bruises and burns. And then one day I was like, this just really hurts a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went back to bartending, but I wanted to find some way to integrate the two of them. And that's, I met the the former Prano rep, who's now one of my very best friends. And we started talking about doing an event together. And, um, Is that Leslie? That's Leslie. Leslie Perso. She's yeah. been on the show, too. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of brainstorming about our, an event that we could do that would put kind of put circus and absence together because they kind of seem like yeah, a good yeah, fit. Yeah, totally. Um, that led to a really fun Bastille Day party. And then um, she left the job to go work as a full-time as a writer, and I took her job. Awesome. Yeah. So did you, when you got out of circus school, did you like, and you started bartending again, did you like have just all kinds of crazy flair? Oh my God. Okay. So I used to practice. I'm really bad at it. So the thing is like, as we've learned, like maybe I shouldn't, I, it's good that I'm in the profession I'm in now because everything else didn't work out. So the, I was really bad. (laughs) I can't juggle. I'm not a very good clown. I (laughs) just take notes from, I'll never be a contortionist. My teacher used to go, you'll never be a contortionist. That's so shitty. I was like, I'm 25. I think the jig is up. <laughs> That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. I always, I always love hearing. Every time we have someone on the show, um, I, I like getting the backstory on the people who are doing these awesome jobs. You know, like uh, a very coveted job, like being the uh, brand ambassador for an awesome uh, absinthe company for Pernod and Ricard. You know, it's like. It's, it, there's yeah. always like a path to getting to, um, for, you know, people who are writers, uh, in the uh, industry or distillers or brewers or bar owners, bartenders, mm-hmm. you know, it's always funny to, not funny, but it's fun and funny sometimes to like get the background story on them. And well, yeah. it really tells you a lot about like, and it's not linear. Like people ask me like, how do you get your job? I want to do what you do. And I say, do what you love, do what you love and be 100% who you are. And if someone wants you, they will come find you. And it's, it's exactly what happened to me. And I, I see people trying so hard to, like, fit into something. And I was like, I said, just live your life. And if your life is the same life that your brand wants, they'll they'll ask you to come work with them. Yeah. I, I feel like I've broken record uh, on this show a lot of times because I always, you know, every week I, I learn so much more, so many more new things about uh, different spirits and bar history and cocktails. And, you know, it's it's just as educational for me as it is for our listeners, you know. And I would say that, and like I said, I feel like I broke a record, that it's such an exciting time for this industry. And especially because, you know, I, I'm not I'm not talking shit on any of like, the big distributors or, like, the, the, the corporate guys in, in the conference rooms. But, you know, it's great now that we have so many personalities and people who are so passionate about the actual art and craft of the industry and what it means uh, rather than, you know, just dollar signs on some paper in an office, you know? And that's why I love my company. I I, I always say I work for a very, very small craft brand that has a big 
rich dad, you know, that like we have this <laughs> huge parent company that's incredibly successful. But I think one of the huge reasons I love our company and the reason we're so successful is we've really prioritized bartenders and we've really prioritized trade, like from Absolute and, and all the work we do with them and, and creating, you know, Elix and, and all the, the new, you know, interesting flavors we were doing to Plymouth and Beef Feeder being so bartender friendly. Um, I, it's one of the reasons I, I'm so proud to work at Pernod Ricard. Cool. Well, I'm so proud to have you in the studio, finally. Well, thank you so this much. This has been great. Thanks so much for bringing me absinthe in the afternoon. My pleasure. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm just going to remember this for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> this is what makes me happy, drinking absinthe <laughs> in the afternoon. Uh, that Actually, on that note, that's one of the greatest, uh, simplest cocktails, too. The Hemingway cocktail, Death in the Afternoon. The simplest. Just absinthe and champagne. Yep. Just a glass of absinthe. with I mean, glass of champagne. <laughs> with a little absinthe on top. And uh, you're good to go. Death in the Afternoon. All right. Thanks so much again. Of course. My pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Come back anytime you like. Thank you. Well, you've been listening to The Speakeasy. This has been Damon Bolte and Anne Louise Marquis from Pernod Ricard. Check in next week. And until then, have a good week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.